This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ayn, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. As we discussed Shuvas for the of the 20th century, we pointed out that obviously there are certain uh, classic differences in the times of the Shuvas. The Shalot and Shuvot that were written in the time of the First World War, before the Holocaust, obviously are one type of questions that would be asked. Once the State of Israel was established, many new issues had to be raised and discussed in the post Hakamat Hamdina period was, uh, were very important shivas. The Holocaust shivas, of course, take a place by themselves. One of the most amazing svarim of Sheilot Utshuvot that was ever printed were the shivas of Sheilot Utshuvot Mima Amakim written by Abafram Ephraim Ashri. First, let me say a little about Rabbi Ephraim Ashri. He was born in Lithuania in 1914. Learned in the classic yeshivas of, of Europe, was known as a young Tamit Chacham. When the Kovna ghetto was established, he was in the ghetto, and he taught Torah in many different places, wherever they could find a, a room, a base medrash, what they called the Kloys, to give shiurim, Rabbi Ephraim Ashi was Marbitz Torah in Ghetto Kovna. Years later, when after the liberation, he went to Rome, started a, a small yeshiva there, moved afterwards with his Talmidim to Montreal, where he also started a yeshiva, and he eventually wound up in New York, where he became the rub of a very famous shul, the Beis Medrash Hagadol, and he was very active in rabbinical organizations, specifically a, a rabbinic committee of rabbanim who survived the Holocaust. He also founded yeshivos in the Bronx and passed away in 2003. When he was in the ghetto, of Kovna, let's remember we're talking about the beginning of the 40s when Rav Ashri was only 26 years old or so. Many people came to ask very, very difficult questions. Some of them were matters of life and death, and some of them were just very difficult issues because they related to uh, the terrible situation of the day-to-day life in the ghetto. At that time, Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan, I'm sorry, Rabbi Avram Dober Kana Shapira, the author of the Dvar Avram, was in the ghetto of Kovna. But he was quite ill, very weak, and it was difficult for him to answer all these shilas. He turned to Rav Ashri and asked Rav Ashri to answer the questions, and at least on some occasions, Rav Ashri consulted with the Dvar Avram, 
before he issued his tshuva. These tshuvas were written under very difficult conditions. There was no time to sit and learn and pour over a question which actually could be a question of life and death. My assumption was that the tools necessary, svarim, consultations, etc., were not that available in the ghetto of Kovna. We do know there were certain svarim that were in the ghetto. They did have a some sort of a Torah library. But nevertheless, my assumption would be that he didn't have full access to what a Tamad Chacham usually needs when he writes Shailot to Chuvot. His Chuvot were collected by Rav Ashri and buried in the ground in the Ghetto Kovna. After the liberation, Rav Ashri came back, found those scraps, put them together, perhaps elaborated on some of the chuvas, and printed a number of volumes which he called rather apt title, Sheilot Uchuvot Mima'amakim, from the depths. This this sefer, or the svarim actually, altogether there are at least five svarim that were printed. The first was printed in 1959, and the last one that I know of, the fifth volume, was printed in 1978. These svarim became a topic for study, partly because of the issues themselves, and partly because of the historical importance of these Sheilot Tshuvot. Very often, Rav Ashri actually wrote the details of the exactly what happened in these Tshuvos. The Tshuvos also reflect tremendous spirit, tremendous dedication of Jews who went to any effort to in, try to keep with Halacha as much as they can, to live in a proud type of sense as religious Jews, even under these oppressive conditions. One of the volumes of Tshuvot Vimamakim was printed in English, that Rav Ashi printed a translation of Tshuvot Vimamakim, but that's really not one volume translated, but a collection of different Tshuvos that were translated. And other scholarly work has been done on these Tshuvos. For example, a book by uh, Dr. Irving Rosenblum was printed about the halachic responses to the Holocaust. Most of that book is based upon Sheilotu Tshivot Makim. Today, I would like to deal with some of the questions that were asked and to discuss the answers that were given under those conditions. In volume two of Maimah Makim, the question was asked by a person who tragically knew what was in store for him and others. And he asked Rav Ashri, what is the correct nusach of the bracha when a person is taken to die al Kiddush Hashem? The question, I assume, had been one that was raised throughout Jewish history. But this is the first tshuva that I'm aware of that really asked the question. A certain Rev Eliyahu, who lived in Warsaw, asked this question, and he wanted not only to know the answer for himself, 
but he wanted to go around telling people what bracha to make. Rav Ashri quoted various svarim. We do not find in the Gemara and Rishonim a nusach for this bracha, but he found certain svarim. For example, he quotes a sefer called Yosef Ometz, where they have a longer bracha, etc., etc., and it ends with Baruch Mekadesh Shimcha Barabim. The psak of Rav Ashri was to make the bracha Asher Kitshon Mitzvah Sivanu Likadesh Shmo Barabim. Rav Eliyahu was very happy to receive a psak and went around teaching this psak to the people. This, of course, reminds me of the story of Rebbe Hanan Wasserman, who was also for a time in the ghetto of Kovna, who was in the middle of learning when he was taken out, and they knew what their destination would be. And Rebbe Hanan made a speech to the people, as is reported in the introduction to his Kovach Shiurim, that he said we were chosen to be Karbanos. When you have a Karban, we know that a bad Machshava can passel the Karban. It could be called a Machshava Spiegel. Therefore, we should all have within us the proper attitude of going the Kadesh Mobarabim. And therefore, the Psak was given by Rav Ashri to make this Bracha. Now, later on, we have discussions of this Bracha in various types of literature. Of course, the difference is Rav Ashri's psak was given in, in what we would call real time, when the question was asked Halacha Lamaisa. Years later, Professor Shraga Abramson wrote a long essay about this bracha, which is printed in the uh, yearly journal of Masad Rav Kuk, called Tar And he brings various opinions and various texts that he found as to the exact text of the bracha. In a sefer on brachos shinishtaku, brachos that somehow have fallen into disuse, Professor Dr. Tzvi Groner has a short article about the brachan Kiddush Hashem, and he quotes some people who thought that you don't make a bracha on Kiddush Hashem at all, because they gave a source that when people were taken out to be killed by Bezdin, they would not make a bracha. We shown him have said that you do not make a bracha in such a case. And they gave what Rabbi Groner considers two reasons. One, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has mercy on his creation. And secondly, you don't make a bracha on something bad. On the other hand, in this particular case, when the people go to die and they accept the Gzeira Besimcha, they go as true karbanos when they were not to be blamed, but they accepted the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So then you can discuss if you you should make a bracha. In any case, Rav Ashri's psak apparently was accepted by many people in the ghetto of Kovna. Another question that somehow seems very poignant 
was a story told about the ghetto that there was a certain Rabbi Avram Yosef who used to daven for the Amud in the shul in the ghetto. And one day, when he was saying Birchas HaShachar, and he was up to the bracha, Shalom Asani Ovid, that I am not a slave, he screamed, how can I possibly say that? In the time that we're in captivity, we're sold, how can a slave make a bracha that's made by a free man when the yoke of slavery is upon him? How can he, a person oppressed by this low type of human being, someone who starves him, how could a slave like that make a bracha, Shalom Asani Avin? The people in the shul responded, I would assume there were some people who encouraged him. I would assume certain people were very opposed to him, to this, to this uh, approach. And they asked Rav Ashri what to do. And his answer was that he found a source in the Avud Raham. The Avud Raham made a, has a discussion if a prisoner, a Shavui, should make this bracha. And the answer was, yes. The bracha was not originally formulated because a person did this type of work or that type of work. The essence of the bracha it was that an Evid Kanani cannot get married to a Jewish lady. He's exempt from mitzvahs. And therefore, a Jew says, I'm happy. I am happy, Shlosani of it, because I am chayiv in mitzvahs. And therefore, since the bracha is not made on physical slavery, but on spiritual slavery, then it is appropriate for these people who tried, despite all the conditions, to observe Torah and mitzvahs to the best of their ability, and it would be appropriate for them to make the bracha, and Ravashi Paskind, that we should cancel such a bracha which was made by the Avos HaOlam, and we certainly should make the bracha every day, dafka, to show to our enemies, to our oppressors, that despite the fact that they can enslave our bodies, but they can't enslave our commitment to Torah mitzvahs. As a side comment, Rav Ashi discussed the appropriate bracha for women to make under those conditions. And perhaps this tshuva should be discussed, especially today, when people raise the issue about the bracha Shalom Asani Isha in general. My brother, Professor Yosef Tabori, has written an article about the history and nature of the bracha Shalom Asani Isha. But if we would interpret it somehow according to the lines taught to us by Rav Ashri, perhaps the issue could become a little clearer. One of the chuvas that was also asked under the, the unique situations of the ghetto are found in volume 3, 
where the question was asked about a person who was taken to a hospital and was informed that everyone who goes to this hospital, all his possessions will be burned when he leaves. Apparently, they were concerned with illness, which is just almost ironic. And they said they're going to burn everything that comes out of the shul, out of the, out of the hospital. Under such circumstances, would you be allowed to bring tefillin? On one hand, the people, specifically one young man, asked the question. He really wanted to daven every day. He wanted to put on tefillin every day. The young fellow was about tshuva. And he was actually an amputee of a leg. And he was, and he asked whether he can bring in his tefillin, knowing full well that at the end they will be destroyed. This is a problem of causing tefillin to be destroyed. Rav Ashi brought at first of just an interesting story to determine the halachic parameters of the question. He quoted a Gemara in Avodah a very famous Gemara, that when Rabbi, Yoch, when Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma became ill, Rabbi Hanina ben Trajan came to visit him. So Rabbi Yossi said to Rabbi Hanina, I don't know, if aren't you aware that the nation that is imprisoning, that is oppressing us today, destroyed Abes HaMikdash and has all kinds of edicts issued against the Jewish people. And I heard, says Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma, that you, Rabbi Hanini ben Tradion, teach Torah in public. You bring the Sefer Torah with you. Obviously he thought this was a very dangerous procedure. And Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion answered, God will have mercy on us. Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma answered him, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the outcome will be that they're going to burn you and the Sefer Torah in fire. And not long later, Rabbi, Yoch, Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma passed away. They went to the funeral, and on the way back from the funeral, they found that Rabbi Hanina ben Tiadion was teaching Torah, and the great leaders of Rome took Rabbi Hanina ben Tiadion, they wrapped the Sefer Torah around him, and put it on fire. This story somehow implies that Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma knew what was going on. The fact is that Yossi ben Kisma was an honored person. At his funeral, it said, Gedolei Rama came to his funeral, and they gave a husband. So when he said to Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion that I wouldn't be surprised if they burned you and the Sefer Torah, he knew what he was talking about. And Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion said, learning Torah and keeping Torah mitzvahs under such conditions are so important that you can rely on the fact So, that story would imply that we can tell this young fellow to take his tefillin, or actually send him the tefillin, in order to fulfill the mitzvah, and Of course, then 
Rav Ashri deals with the relevant sources about Gram Mechikas Sifrei Torah Kisvei HaKodesh. He discusses the issue of causing a Sefer Torah or other uh, artifacts like, uh, I don't know if artifact is the correct word, but Kudivrei uh, Kedusha, like Tefillin, if they're to be destroyed. He goes through a whole halachic discussion and he points out that if it would be definitely, if the Tefillin would definitely be burned and there's no suffix at all, then he himself would be inclined to be machmir, to tell him not to bring the tefillin. But since you never know, you can't be 100% sure, and therefore you can rely on certain shitos that he brought with a big, uh, severe, uh, real halachic discussion, and at the end he said you can bring the tefillin. The uh, doctor, a certain doctor, Davidovich, who was a a doctor in that particular hospital told people that when they brought the young man the tefillin and he put them on, he was so ecstatic that he really felt he was leaving he felt he was actually in a sense being redeemed. The story has an interesting ending. On the third day of Tishrei of 1941 when the Germans actually destroyed the ghetto of Kovna. They burned the hospital together with the people that were inside it. The doctors, the nurses, this Dr. Davidovich himself was inside, as was the boy who put on the tefillin. However, the tefillin were miraculously saved. One person who was there that was saved from this hospital actually was given the tefillin by the young fellow who took them out of the hospital. This question, of course, could be asked in modern times as well. Rab Moshe Feinstein was asked in the first volume of Igros Moshe when a person goes to a hospital which for contagious diseases, in which case they burn everything that went into the hospital, Reb Moshe was asked a very similar question. And it's interesting to note, because of time, we won't deal with all the halachic uh, questions that Reb Moshe uh, raises, but suffice it to say, it's very, very similar to the discussion that was found in Mima Makim. And of course, let's remember the difference in circumstances. Reb Moshe finds him sitting in his base medrash, writing a tshuva, where Rav Ashi wrote this tshuva more or less in the ghetto Kovna, Rav Moshe Paskin, that you are not allowed to bring in the tefillin. Of course, one could distinguish between the cases and think about the the feelings of the people involved. We're talking on one hand about a sick person who's going to leave the hospital. On the other hand, we're talking about a person in the ghetto who has no idea what his future will be person whose leg was amputated, person under those conditions, I'm not sure if you can equate the circumstances. Nevertheless, it's interesting that Rav Moshe Paskin, you could not bring tefillin in such a case. And people wrote against Rav Moshe and argued with him. In a Torah journal called Hamasila, there were uh, a letter written by the Rosh Hashiva of Tells, Rav Gifter, and an article written by 
the uh, Rav Hagon Hager. I'm not sure which Rav, Rav Hager it was, but they wrote in 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 uh, in the Hamistila that um, to argue with Rav Moshe and Rav Hager actually passed on the opposite, and he said you can't bring in the tefillin. And he said, and Rav Moshe said it was Osir. Rav Moshe again has rebutted the uh, arguments presented against him in Amasila, and those people that are more interested to follow this particular discussion in Chelek Dalid of Arachayim in Tshuva Ches and Tes, Rav Moshe really defends his original argument, explaining why he thought you cannot bring the tefillin to such a hospital. One of the Chuvos that also shows the spirit of the people of the time was is in volume four, where the question was just before Sukkot, the people in the ghetto had a tremendous concern. Now you would think their concern was how are they going to eat, how are they going to live, how are they going to clothe themselves. The problem was how do we get a lulav? How do we get abaminim? for Sukkot. And somehow, almost by miracle, a person appeared, brought to the ghetto just before Sukkot, and he had with him the Abaminim. When he came, obviously, there was great joy. We're going to have Abaminim for Sukkot. But then the announcement was made that this particular person who brought the who brought the Arbaminim was going to be taken Motzai Shabbos to another place. Now, it also happened that that year, the first day of Sukkot was on Shabbos. So on Shabbos, you don't take a Lulav. Sunday would be the first day they would take Arbaminim and there would be no Abaminim on Sunday because this person was going to be taken and he would take his Abaminim with him wherever he went, Motzai Shabbos. So the people asked Rav Ashri, under these extenuating circumstances, would we be allowed to take the Abaminim on Shabbos in order to fulfill the mitzvah, the Araisa of Abaminim, even in the ghetto of Kovna, despite the fact that Chachamim said not to take the Lulav on Shabbos, but perhaps under these circumstances we could do so. Rav Ashri has a long discussion about the nature of the din of Rabbanan when they tell you not to do something. When they say not to take a Lulav, does it mean that one who does take a Lulav does not fulfill even even the Mitzvah Daraisa? Do the Chachamim have such power that they can abrogate the mitzvah of the Torah and say you did not fulfill this mitzvah at all? Or do you say that they said if a person does take the Lulav on Shabbos, he still will fulfill the mitzvah daraisa, but he'll transgress the law of the Rabbanan. The same question, of course, could be asked by Shofar and by other issues as well. The famous Tosfus on Daf Gimel and Aleph of Masecha Sukkah, talks about a sukkah that was puzzled Rabbanan, and the Gemara uses the phrase, in Kain lo kiyamta mitzvah sukkah miyamecha. The Gemara says, if you would sit in such a sukkah, you did not fulfill the mitzvah sukkah at all. 
Tosus points out that on one hand you did fulfill the mitzvah sukkah. The sukkah is kasha midaraisa. It's only midrabbanan that's puzzled. So how can a person say you didn't fulfill the mitzvah at all? So Tosfus' opinion is that if a person, if the Chachamim came and said, this sukkah is not to be used, then if a person does sit in that sukkah, he does not even fulfill the mitzvah daraisa. Rav Ashri deals with this issue. He also raises other issues that perhaps would be relevant in this case. He said maybe the Gzair of Chachamim would not apply in a place where you could not leave the area at all, here under penalties, very strict penalties, a person could not leave the ghetto, the gzera that maybe you'll carry might not apply. He also, of course, raised the issue that these situ- the situation is so difficult that the people are so anxious to fulfill a mitzvah, perhaps there's a reason to be inclined to be mekel. At the end, in this particular issue, since Rav Ashri discussed the question from all sides, and as I mentioned, he quoted that Tosus in Sukkah, which says that you did not fulfill the mitzvah at all. So Rav Ashri, in this particular issue, doesn't want to issue a psak. He said, I did not want to say that it's Asr, I didn't want to say that it's Mutter. And since I did not say it's Asr, people understood that if they want to, they could do it. And many people, says Rav Ashri, rushed to fulfill this mitzvah, to make a shechianu, and they cried. when they Tears of joy and of worry at the same time that they thought they were merited, they were zoche, to fulfill a mitzvah of lulav, and possibly this is the last time in their life they'll be finished this mitzvah. Rav Ashri remarks that this simcha was especially felt by B'nai Yeshiva, B'nai Torah, who were there. And he, men- he mentioned that a certain Lubavitcher Chassid, Rav Faival Zisman, who was killed on Dalit Nisan, Tavshin Dalit, said, I'm going to fulfill this mitzvah without asking Yeshayla. I'm prepared to accept punishment for fulfilling this mitzvah. All my life, I spent huge sums in order to try to get the best esrog I could get. And now, before my death, I want, I am sure, I am confident that the zchus of this mitzvah will stand for me in good stead on the Day of Judgment. At that time, as we find rather often in the Chuvos, Rav Ashri comments that HaRav HaGon, Avram Dober Kana Shapira, the Rav of Kovna, who actually died in the ghetto in the 22nd of Adar Aleph, 1943. At that point, he was quite ill. And on Sukkot, not only could they not bring the question to him, he couldn't fulfill the mitzvah at all. Later on, he somehow became a little stronger. And Rav Ashri asked him, he told him the story, told him about the Esrog, asked him the question, and the Dvaravram asked him, how did you paskin? He said, I told, I did not answer one way or the other. And the, the Dvaravram paskined, in this particular case, the people who are imprisoned in the ghetto, lechatchila, should make a bracha on the Esrog, Chachamim would not make the Gzeira in such a case. 
we've brought only a small smattering of tshuvas that show the spirit of Jews at that time and tragically also tell us some of the details of the history of the time.